Good morning, friends. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. How do you tune in? Over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through the KFUO app, or maybe as a podcast. Hey, listen, no matter how you're hearing us, I'm so glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more how they can be your partner or how you can help them. Now, if you have any comments or questions about today's show or you'd like to just drop me a note, say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. In fact, every Friday, I open up the listener mailbag and share some of your comments and answer some of your questions. So keep those emails coming. Well, welcome back to Corinth, folks. We're still here in around 55 AD. The tapestry of this great city, along with its many vices and virtues, continue to help us understand the context for Paul's letter and what the Corinthian Christians were facing, both those of Jewish and Greek heritage. Well, yesterday we covered the first third of chapter 7, and today we pick up with the second third of verses, uh, 17 through 24. And joining me this morning, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, the Reverend Keith Weiss, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Salk Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Now, I did pronounce your name correctly. Is it Weiss or Weiss? How do you how do you pronounce that? As someone who, whose last name is Boo, I get this question all the time, so I don't mind asking folks just flat out. How do you pronounce uh, your last name? I don't mind it at all either. It's wise, like wise old owl, which is not advertising my wisdom, but that's the easiest way for people to remember how to say it. That is very easy. And I we, we will get to see your wisdom today. So we'll see if you are worthy of it by the end of the show. But I'm going <laughs> to guess that you that you are also very humble, too. Hey, but before we begin, maybe take a moment and share with our listeners a little bit about how God is working through your ministry and through your congregation. Okay. I am pastor of the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd and also the chaplain of the Good Shepherd community here in Sauk Rapids. And what that means is I serve as a chaplain and the pastoral carer for everyone who lives in our senior living community here from completely independent living in an apartment all the way up to and including uh, full-time nursing care. Uh, people who need rehab, those kinds of things. We have all of those services here. So I'm everybody's chaplain. And we also have a congregation that meets in our chapel, which is comprised mostly of folks who live here at Good Shepherd, but also a few who live out in the larger community. And please pray for us because we're in a health health care facility, we have yet to be able to open our chapel to the public at large because of COVID, but hopefully that will change soon. Um, what do we do here? Well, we do what 
all churches do. We have worship on Sunday and Wednesday. We have matins on Tuesday and Friday. We have a hymn sing on Thursday, a Bible study on uh, Wednesday. And if you'd like to see or get a taste of those things, you can find them at Good Shepherd Community on Facebook, or you can look at my personal page, uh, Keith Wise, with an E right after the W as well. And you can see all of those things which we put up for people to take part in. So we're serving folks in need, um, serving our senior community and providing things for them, spiritual, physical, and their entire person. And God is blessing his work here. So it's a privilege to be able to serve his people here and to be with you today on the Bible study. Wow. So that is a unique context that you're in. It is. Um, I'm, you know, I'm never comfortable saying with certainty because you never know what's happened since the last time uh, you had this conversation. But as far as I can tell, I believe this is the only senior living community slash congregational call in the synod at the time. Wow, that's that is fascinating. You know, I'm Facebook friends with you, and so I've seen some of your services, mm. and that explains a lot about your unique community because I see you sometimes like wearing a mask because of your context, right? And and I'm thinking, well, you're in Minnesota, I, you know, why are we still wearing masks? You know, but that makes a a complete uh, it makes a lot of sense now. Now I understand, right? We're we're our. Chapel is um, qualified as part of the healthcare facility because if it wasn't, then everybody who came from the nursing home would have to uh, take a leave of absence, come to church, and then check back in, oh, which wow. is crazy, you know, bureaucratic paperwork wise. So it's easier just to call it part of the nursing home. But then that means we have to follow all the uh, nursing home regulations. That's why I still have a mask. Yeah, that, that's why that I have to sense. wear gloves for communion, those kind of things. Interesting. Fascinating. Uh, and, you know, and that's what we do, though, right? We go out there and we serve our people the best way we can. And we reach, reach those people. Amen. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for you uh, in that context. It is, I think, a unique one. I've not heard of another specific. Um, I serve my people when I go to the nursing homes, but nothing in the way that like you're doing. And so I'm just fascinated to hear about it. Well, but I tell you, you what, we do have a few verses today. There's a lot in them. But before we dig in, would you please start us off with a prayer? Certainly. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have called us all to be your blessed children by cleansing us from our sin in the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by making us holy by the work of your Holy Spirit. Grant us contentment in the callings you have placed upon us, that we receive your gifts and know that we no longer need to strive for blessing, for you give it to us freely by your grace, and grant us the faith to look forward to the day when we shall live with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. These things we pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Our text for today, as I said earlier, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. And these, this is only uh, comprises eight verses, 
but there is so much in it and not only a lot in it, but it's a, such a, I think, a difficult passage to understand and maybe even more difficult to apply to our world today. But that's what our uh, wise Pastor Wise is going to help us with. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24, just all of them. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there him remain with God. Or there, let him remain with God. My apologies. All right, so this section, it immediately follows a section about some principles for marriage, and it itself is followed by things for unmarried and widowed people also relating to marriage. But kind of right here in the middle, it's all one thought, I think you would agree, but, you know, where's where's he come from to lead us to this part of his argument? And where is he going, Pastor? Okay, I think the overarching message of chapter 7, including uh, the very first section, which is, um, I would say, godly, divine, inspired instruction for the young men and women who have yet to be married and widows. So for the unmarried, and then verses 10 to 16 is that divine instruction for those who are married. And then in the middle here, 17 through 24, is that divine instruction for all Christians and how to relate to their worldly life and their churchly life and how those relate to one another. And then he goes back to that uh, sort of marriage issue to the unmarried and widows and, and in some way elaborates on what he said in the first nine verses. So I think the overarching theme for all of it is, as you are, it is best to stay. So the hmm. purpose of being a Christian is not to try to uh, change up things and uh, be different and creative or progressive, but conservative and not in a political sense, but in uh, just living your life sense that it's okay how you are because God has called you to the marriage you're in or to the lack of a marriage you're in, or to your relationship with all the other Christians who you know. You don't have to uh, try to change things. So that that's sort of the big overarching picture here. And there are a couple other things that come out in the details, but that idea that as a Christian, you don't have to fight and claw and scrape and compete for this finite number of good things like you have to do at a job 
or in uh, any worldly setting, God gives. And what he gives is everything you need for this life and for the life of the world to come. So it's okay to be content with the setting you find yourself in. Slave, free, boss, worker, company, owner, or just employee. Those worldly callings, which are true and valid and worthy, don't determine your worth before God. Um, what determines your worth before God is Jesus. See, the, the clue or the key to understanding this whole passage, I think, is near the end of the reading, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become... Now, does your ESV say bond servants in verse 23? It does. It says mine bond says, servants of men. Mine says yep. slaves. Oh, we're right from Gulos. <laughs> exactly. You know, so both um, translations are legit, but it's interesting that in the ESV you have two different ones. Uh, anyway, that's not. It makes you wonder here. if there is some ability to try to redefine or or lessen the severity of what it means to be a slave, because <laughs> yeah, it, it I, says don't become bond servants of men or slaves of men, which I think everybody could agree with. But, sure. you know, it also says in verse 22, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ or bondservant of Christ. Right. And and mine says slave. And so I, I think, what's it? Several years ago, there was a little dust up about the committee who sort of keeps guard of the ESV sort of said it's now set in stone. And everybody got, you know, terribly upset and said, no, 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 you have to keep, you know, updating with new research and stuff so that's probably what happened you know it, it's not a static translation that keeps changing but anyway that verse whether it says bond servants or slaves 23 i think is a good controlling verse for the whole section here you were bought at a price do not become slaves of men yeah you can go to your job and do it and do it well every day it's god's calling you can be the owner of a company and do that in a godly way that is a vocation to which you've been called you can be married or not a widow or however your relationships work out do them in a godly way but don't make them your god you know in because, in the chapter 1 in the in the very beginning of this letter you know, he's speaking to these Corinthians, and with a guest past, we've talked about how they struggle with haughtiness, this mm. desire to align themselves in cliques that they think are better than other cliques, which are dividing the churches. They look out onto the Corinthian landscape, and they see this licentiousness and evil living being done by the rich and powerful, and they say, you know, our way of life doesn't match their way of life. And they, of course, want to give in to society's expectations and claw their way to the top. And so Paul has already kind of given them a lecture that says, you know, where who were you when you came to the congregation? Not many of you were were rulers, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so that seems like it continues here. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. My, my first kind of thought, though, and I think the thought that when people read this is, this idea of having a life assigned to you, and I like the way you're putting it, but I want you to kind of unpack that a little bit. Sure. You know, the, the life that the Lord has assigned to you makes it seem like it would be sinful for you to aspire to be the CEO. So if you're the person who comes in and works in the mailroom, 
then that's what the Lord has assigned to you. And therefore you must do that. And if you were to try to be a middle manager or even the CEO, that would be denying what God has assigned to you. Now, that's not what you said. You said that uh, we should be satisfied and content. You even prayed for our contentment. And I think that is certainly godly. And of course, one of the commandments. But so where's the distinction here? There's got to be a distinction. Is this saying that we can only do what God wants us to do? Because if that was case the case, then I would still be, you know, a high schooler working at my fast food job. <laughs> and that's an excellent point to make. I've got some stuff here to talk about that very thing. I think we need to keep several sort of distinctions that we make as Christians in mind here. First is um, the two kingdoms, you know, which you know, in sort of uh, regular people parlance is, you know, you have this area of life that the church has authority in, which is your salvation, calling you to repentance, preaching you the gospel, sharing the sacraments as Christ gave them to us. It's all about your spiritual health and your everlasting life. And then on the left hand, you have your earthly life, which God has set up with uh, a government for all the way from the federal government to your local government. And runs the world and threatens against and punishes evil and rewards the good when it all works like it's supposed to. And those are sort of two different distinctions we keep in our lives because we live in both of those all the time and they relate differently. So this bit here in 17 to 24, I think, is especially directed toward our lives in the church. So it's about being humble. It's not about striving to be, you know, the, the uh, I want to be the district president or the bishop or the, the presiding pastor, whatever your church calls that person. Most of the pastors I know are, are folks like me who sort of fought against the idea of being a pastor rather than sort of wanted to because it had all this sort of glamour and prestige and power, which it doesn't. But Paul here is reminding us, and it's the Spirit actually through Paul, is reminding us that, okay, if you're called while you're a slave, you're free in Christ. You know, don't let your earthly, your left-hand kingdom, temporary setting, determine what your setting and your status before God is. And your spiritual setting, your godly, churchly vocation as a Christian makes you as valuable as every other Christian who lives, has lived, and will yet live. Your vocation as a Christian is to be faithful and humble. And you can see how these interact if you sort of dig in the scriptures. I'll go through these quickly because we don't need to say the whole things. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about people who worry. And he says, look at the, the lilies of the field. Um, and they neither sow nor reap, yet God clothes them more beautifully than Solomon ever was. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. Don't go worrying about food and clothes. The Gentiles worry about that. Okay, so God provides what I need for my everyday life. Good. Then Matthew 12, Jesus talks about all of his disciples as being his brother, sister, 
and mother, when his familial mother, brothers, come looking for him, he expands the family beyond his own house and says, hey, when you're in the church, you've got the biggest, best family ever. So don't let your weirdnesses in your family that you think you're the only one who has, which we all have, just in case you're wondering, um, don't let that determine how you see yourself before God, because it doesn't let God determine how he sees you. And those two kingdoms really help distinguish how this works. Because if you are the mailroom kid, 18, working after school and high school, and you want to get a full-time job at that company, well, do your best. That you're, you're not called a slack. You, you're not certainly called not to steal from your employer by what's called today slow quitting or slow work. I don't know if you heard about that, but yeah, the it, quiet quitting. I've also heard it called. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's stealing from your employer. But if you do what that job calls for, chances are over time you're going to move along in different positions. That's perfectly okay. But once you're in the church, you're God's child as a Christian. You can't get promoted beyond that. So be content with those earthly gifts that God gives you. I like how and, you put that. I think that really does bring it home to contentment isn't about never wanting to um, – how can I say this? Contentment is about being satisfied with where you are, gracious and grateful, I should say, of the gifts that you have been given. It doesn't preclude wanting better for yourself, but obviously covetousness lies in um, hyper-focusing and wanting to so-called improve yourself or get better things uh, in ways that are sinful or in ways that don't appreciate what God has given you in the moment. Right. And, you know, in my notes here, I have this list that says social mobility, ambition, keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have a place in the church. Right. But what does have a place is contentment with the gifts God gives. And those gifts may, may open up to us more fully over time. We, you know, in the church, we all hope that we grow in our holiness and our devotion to Christ as we uh, mature in the faith. But along the way, that even that does not determine how saved you are, because that one line in verse 23 says it all. You were bought at a price. God already has you. I often tell folks in my Bible studies that everybody is possessed. The question is, by whom? So are you striving in the worldly sense under the prince of this world to get worldly things that aren't really the devil's to give to you anyway? Is he tempting you like he tempted Christ and you're falling for it? Or do you see that God has already given you the entire creation, called you to be a steward of it? And has given you uh, authority over a little piece of it now, because those who are faithful with a little will receive a whole lot in the kingdom of God. So this had some this had some practical applications, right? You said it had something about being in the church. Well, for the Corinthians of this time, verse eighteen talks about circumcision. Yes. So was anyone at the time of his call? In this case, the call to be a Christian, not like the call that we think of it. Right. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Don't let him seek to remove those marks of circumcision. 
And was anyone uncircumcised, then don't, you know, seek that out. So, you know, there, there are these Christians who think that, what, they have to be circumcised or uncircumcised in order to fit in? How's that? What does that look like on the ground there in Corinth? <laughs> well, amazingly enough, I would had to do some digging on this because it just, I didn't understand what Paul was talking about when he says um, the person who was circumcised at his call should not seek to remove those marks or to become uncircumcised. Apparently, and in Corinth at the time Paul wrote this letter, trying to reverse circumcision was a thing medically, which you could have surgery for. I can't imagine, you know, wanting to do that. But it really was a thing. Um, Epispasm, I think it was called. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the yep. official name. I'm still in shock that it was. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, of course, uh, a male can be circumcised any time if he's not circumcised. So that that's not so shocking there. But, you know, in, in a churchly sense, you know, Paul makes this distinction very often, the same one he does here, you know, it's not the physical mark that matters, but it's what he calls the circumcision of your heart. It's the faithful mark that shows you as devoted to Christ and belonging to him and his bond servant or slave or whichever way you want to put that, rather than some physical mark Ooh, I'm in, I'm good, and then you have this licentiousness to do whatever you want. And when, when you look at the world around you and the church says, we want to be like them, that's always bad. You know, it, it never works. It, it never uh, works in the long term, you know, if you're like sort of doing earthly strategic planning for the church. Because if you're trying to be like the world, you, you've got nothing better than them to give, or at least that's how people perceive it. But it's okay to be different. We, we've all got our odd little differences, and this is not an advertisement of the so-called political you know, um, diversity and those kind of things. The point is that even though we have our differences that may be physical, that may be emotional, they may be psychological, they may be whatever, in Christ, we are one with each other. We've got one Father. We've all been given the same Holy Spirit who has called us to faith in the same Jesus Christ. We've got one head of whom we are the body. And in that body, the church, there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free. We are all Christ's. But when you go to work, you might look different than the guy next to you. You might talk differently than the guy next to you. You might eat differently than that. You have different habits. You're going to be busy on Sunday morning and maybe Wednesday evening and at a Bible study. You know what? That's okay. That's who God has called you to be. Be comfortable in that Christian skin you're in and let the world be the world, but you be light and salt for it. It's okay to be different. And be content in that difference, because that's the difference that really makes a difference with a capital D at the end of the age and for all eternity. One would think that something like the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, would be 
fairly universal, especially considering, you know, most of the laws of Western civilization are based upon this law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments and written on our hearts. But it seems like the commandments themselves are under dispute in our day and age, undoubtedly also in the Corinthian church. He says in verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything. So for those who are uh, trying to get themselves circumcised, maybe falling under the allure of this circumcision party that Paul is frequently talking about, nor uncircumcision, which again is could certainly relate to this idea that you just aren't circumcised. But as you pointed out, and as I also found horrifically in my own research, <laughs> there was a very painful procedure called epispasm to, to remove circumcision. There's a whole history behind it. Uh, folks, we're not responsible for what you Google. So <laughs> the no, idea, though, <laughs> he says, but what does count is keeping the commandments of God. Right. And so we might think, well, wait a minute, is Paul saying that we have to keep the commandments? And the answer is, well, yeah. I mean, again, us Lutherans, we want to revolt against this because, well, you know, you're not saved by your works. Yes, we're not. But we're not talking about being saved here. We're talking about what it looks like to be a child of God. And striving to keep the commandments is part of that. But now look at the commandments, like the sixth commandment about fidelity in marriage, the eighth commandment about not bearing false testimony, uh, the ninth and tenth commandments about covetousness uh, don't even work in our economy. So right. how, how offensive are even our commandments, which are so simple? in our today's world. And that's what the Christian's supposed to look like. And you, as you so adequately put it, or not, I'm sorry, accurately put it, it was adequate too. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> that, that we're supposed to look different than the rest of the world. We're supposed to look different. Right. That's, you know, one of my, you know, go to, you know, back pocket things when somebody talks about these things is um, every town has that one church who tries to be creative on the sign all the time. And um, there's always that one church that says, come as you are. You know, I always say that sign is only half of the message. Come as you are. You will leave different. Right. And we need to embrace that difference. Um, the commandments today you're right, are very often treated as suggestions. Uh, we have, as you said, a whole economy upon which our country and uh, standard of living depends, which is centered on developing and encouraging covetousness from the time children are able to understand pictures even before language if your kids watch nickelodeon or disney uh, junior anything like that they're selling them stuff every seven or eight minutes buy this buy that buy this buy that buy this and anybody who's had children and especially christians i think at some point if not a whole lot of points you've had to say to your kids look don't spend so much time and energy upset about what you don't have that you're blinded to what God has already given you. You know, as, and it's not just the kids. I'm not picking on my kids because I'm the same way. I want more stuff. I want nice cars. I want a bigger house. I want, I want, I, but, but the check on that is God saying, that's not what counts. What counts is my commandments. And two of those are about coveting. 
The, the first three are about loving God more than you love anybody else. Now, there's a countercultural idea for you. Try telling your, uh, your wife, your husband, your grandkids, your mama, try telling them, you know what? I love you, but I love somebody else more. I bet you a dollar they're going to be offended. But absolutely. If that's not true and that person you love more isn't, you know, it, it should be God. But if it isn't, you're even in more trouble. Um, I, relating all of these commandments back to this passage, uh, the, you know, worshiping God and then honoring your parents. Well, how do I honor my parents? Well, you honor your parents by being comfortable with the family God has provided you and understanding that that family is part of the whole communion of saints, the family of God. And since God has given life to others, you're not to take it unless your own life and your family's lives are in danger. Do not murder. You're not supposed to take the things that other people's lives depend on from them. Do not steal. You're not supposed to take a person's freedom away so that they can do what God has called them to do. Don't bear false witness. And then you're not supposed to take their stuff or their wife or their kids or their workers or anything else because you know what? God has given them that. It's not yours. It's theirs. And so all of these relate back to this idea that to do uh, contrary to, or to put it simply, to break a single commandment or to break all of them is to be a slave to men, to be a slave to worldly things and to the flesh. And that man you're a slave to might be yourself, but it still makes something other than God your God. It means you're an idolater. So when you look at your own identity as someone who belongs to Christ, you are possessed. You're owned by Jesus. And he loves you so much that he'll give you whatever you need. And he's put you where he wants you. And he'll provide for you and love you. And when you gather with all the saints on Sunday, you get to give your sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, knowing that in that place, he's going to pour out even more of what you need for your soul, and not just your body, which he's been gifting things for all week or however long it's been since you've been to church. So, yeah, this is everyday life stuff. And when you look out the window or you hang out with your neighbor at the barbecue, just like the people in Corinth did, you're going to be different. That's okay. God planned it that way. So be content with that difference. Put a, put your spotlight on that difference. Don't carry your Bible in one hand and an ax in the other and just go swinging both wildly. But be smart. Be who God has called you to be, and when the opportunity presents itself, be ready to give a reason for your hope. Be ready to confess your faith. Be ready to suffer if need be, but be ready to be a joyful Christian, glad and thankful for everything God gives, both in your everyday work a day, take the trash out, mow the grass, go to work, job, life, and also in your church life where God feeds not just your body but your soul too 
Well, be content with who you are and what you have. Hey, if this were a commercial radio station, what I'm about to say next would be ironic, but let's take a break to hear some messages. I promise you they won't be selling you anything. So, dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we return in a few moments, Pastor Wise and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Keith Wise, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and chaplain of the Good Shepherd Community in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. So, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about the circumcision and uncircumcision, which led to a great conversation about being contented. Well, in these next verses which follow, you know, it's not just about being circumcised or not being circumcised, now it's talking about slavery. And so I'm going to reread those verses just so we can bring them to the minds of our listeners, but I think there might be a little bit of a difficult conversation that follows. So starting with verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant or slave when called? Then do not be concerned about it. But if you, gain your free, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave or bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant or slave of Christ. Now, I added the word slave because that is how the gloss is in the New King James Version, which you're reading from. Both of those translations, as you've already noted, are fine translations to try to get across what's going on. But let's let's dig into that because I've heard both Christians— who look at this and say, well, it seems that it's saying that I can't ever aspire to anything better. And I've heard enemies of the church use verses like this to say, oh, see, the God of the Bible condones slavery or encourages slavery. I don't think either one of those things is correct, but hey, it's it's tough to argue when it seems kind of clear here. So let's let's dig into that. Help me understand. The problem with that idea is that that you're what what you think Paul is saying here is that okay you you've grown up and now you're the local ditch digger do not ever take another job don't strive to move up in the city work hierarchy or whatever job whatever job you have at first is the only one you can have that's not what Paul is saying he's making a point about how when you're called to be a Christian, remember that not all of us were rocket scientists, brain surgeons, and social uh, engineers, college professors. Some of us are ditch diggers and uh, um, housekeepers and uh, 
launderers, all of whom we need. You know, so if in the course of your work life, you have an opportunity to better yourself, who's to say God isn't calling you to another vocation? Because through your life, God calls you to more than one vocation. The first one he calls you to is child, son or daughter. And maybe along with that one, brother or sister, or aunt, uncle, nephew, niece, grandchild. And as you get older, you gain vocations, callings. You gain, excuse me, you gain perhaps a husband or a wife. And so now you, that's your vocation as a spouse. Uh, you, you're a student along the way, then you're a worker. And so that spot where you get to be the ditch digger or the McDonald's worker, those are perfectly valuable, noble, necessary callings with which our earthly uh, lives would, without them, we, we couldn't live the way we do. And every culture or society is made up of people who help one another, and we all need one another. But that doesn't mean God can't call you to another calling along the way. How many of your churches have only ever had pastors who come to that place and preach there till they die? Very few, right? So I don't think it's unrealistic to think that God will call us to other callings and that it's okay to aspire to another godly vocation along the way. But in the church, you only have one vocation, redeemed child of God, period. And once you have that, there's nothing to, to compete for, to strive for. Your job as a Christian, if we want to talk about it that way, is to Revel in and receive the good gifts of God that he pours out through word and sacrament. We come back to the commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, also sometimes translated as sanctify the holy day. Why? Because we should not despise preaching and God's word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. For by that word, the word of the scriptures, the active living word of the sermon applied to your life, by that word made tangible, touchable, tasteable, feelable, experienceable in the sacraments, God calls you anew time and time again to be his child. And when he calls you, he makes you perfect as that child. So I think we need to look at that idea of don't try to make things better for yourself. It isn't the right way. As a Christian, you can't have it any better than to be a child of God. In the earthly sense, guess what? You're going to have multiple vocations along the way. And as we talked about the uh, left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom earlier, there's also this other distinction um, that you know fancy theologians make sometimes, but it can be helpful here. It's called uh, the three estates. You have the political or the government, the worldly state. You have the family estate, which is what it looks like, your family and your relationships. And then you have the church as an estate. And each of us have different vocations within those. For most of us, politically, we're called to vote and to make our voices known. Some of us may be called to be in that uh, left-hand kingdom, uh, Romans 13 kind of government. In the family, 
we've got multiple callings, as we said before. And in the church, we've all got one calling, God's child. So if you look at that, I, I think it's perfectly okay to say the point Paul is making here is a churchly one regarding that estate. There's nothing left for you to strive and scrap for. You've got everything. Be content with that. The second question about slavery, and people misuse all kinds of scriptures to either be pro or for or accuse the church of being pro or against slavery, but look closely at what Paul says here. Let each one remain in the same calling which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, use that opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Oh, wait a minute. What? <laughs> I'm free and I'm slave at the same time as a Christian. Well, I was saying there's a paradox there. I you know. know. And we, we, lo we Lutherans love paradox. And of course, Don't Paul's we. a really good Lutheran. So, <laughs> you know, we see here that there is a paradox of, of you know, you want to be free. But guess what? you're still a slave of Christ and you want to be, you know, you think you're yourself of a, as a slave or you are a slave. Well, guess what? You're free in Christ. There's right. a beautiful paradox in the way that the Christian church is so inconsistent with the rest of the world, as you were talking about earlier. And that's, that's how Luther opens up his uh, writing on the freedom of a Christian. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all subject to none. And then in the next sentence, he says, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. Uh, what? Well, yeah, the, both of those things can be true at the same time. You have every bit of freedom the children of God have, but your fellow children of God have need of you. And so we, we don't live out this paradox as um, as a way to gain salvation. It's a description of what the Christian life looks like. So to apply it to the immediate question, if you're a slave when you're called, I think Paul makes it very clear that the better situation here is to gain your freedom if possible. Okay? Because he says that if it's possible, make use of that opportunity to be free. But you know what? If that's not possible, you're still free in God's eyes. Remember, you're living now in a world that's falling apart, in a whole creation that groans for the revelation of the sons of men. And when you are in God's presence, you are revealed to your brothers, sisters, the whole creation as a son of God. And so you can be a slave who is oppressed and it's a horrible existence as we think of American chattel slavery. And there's no uh, justification for that whatsoever. Um, if you're a slave in the sort of how slavery was in the biblical Roman times where you might actually sell yourself into slavery if you can't pay your debts or it's you just hit bad times and unemployment is really high. Well, that meant you would have a roof to sleep under and clothes to wear. And yeah, you'd have things to do you wouldn't like, but it wasn't always as bad as like we think of American slavery was. Um, 
And so Paul is addressing just the reality of the situation he's in. Corinth is a Roman city. There are slaves. There are many Christians are slaves when they are converted for the simple fact of what we've been talking about. Once they gathered with the saints, walked through the church door, came to the divine service, it didn't matter if the guy was the mayor and you were sitting next to him and you were the the lowest slave on the totem pole at the house where you were a slave. Guess what? In the church, there's not free or slave, Jew or Gentile, your God. Also worth noting is the fact that in Corinth, most estimates say that there were uh, more slaves than free people. So there was about 400,000 slaves in Corinth. And so you have the majority of the population is in some sort of bond service. But also in the Greco-Roman religions of the time, typically only the wealthy and the powerful and the nobles ended up being able to attain salvation or be in those religions. So Christianity was also very foreign to the Roman idea of who gets to be a part of this uh, of this path to salvation or of this religion. And so Christianity comes along and he's saying, you know, you're a slave. Yeah, slavery is bad. Bond service is bad. You know, it's not like I'm saying that's great, but don't worry about your salvation because don't be concerned about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, b- b- get free if you can get free, but you becoming a free person isn't going to change your status before God or in this congregation. Absolutely. And it's like, um, it's James who says, you know, don't show favoritism. You know, don't bust out the fancy chair and the footrest for the rich guy to sit up front. And you're making the poor people stand in the back or sit on scratchy wooden benches at church. You know, don't, don't do that. Why not? Well, because of what Paul says here. And when we as Christians put that into practice, sometimes it makes the people in church a little uncomfortable. Uh, you may have experienced this. Um, you may not have. But um, when somebody comes to church and they obviously haven't bathed in a while, they need a good shave. Um, you, We could smell them before they we could see them. Uh, they don't know what how to follow along. They're not sure what's going on. They don't know if they should come up for communion or not or what to do. You know, are you more likely as a regular Christian to go sit next to them and lead them through and welcome them? And then to talk afterwards and say, what can we do? How can we help? What do you need? We're glad you're here. Or is are you going to follow that first gut reaction of the flesh that says, oh, they don't really fit in here. See, if it's that second option where they don't fit in, well, the person who really doesn't fit in is you then. Right. Because there's nobody who cannot fit in to the church. There's Christ died for everyone. Whether they stink or not, that's who Christ died for. And when someone has a physical existence that makes you uncomfortable, use that opportunity to realize that's what all our spiritual existence is like without God. You're you're uncomfortable and you're going to be super uncomfortable unless by faith, through God's grace, you receive God's salvation in Christ. So as Christians, as Christians who live in a very rich world, 
Um, even our poor people are rich by worldly standards, not to lessen their struggles at all. I'm not trying to do that. But in all honesty, when someone comes to church who doesn't fit in because they're poor or homeless or they speak a different language or they don't understand what uh, the liturgy or the lack thereof at your place is like, and they, are you going to recognize a child of God there? Or are you going to be somebody who says, you don't fit in? Well, see, the second option there is sinful. It's wrong. And that's the point Paul is making. So if you're a slave, um, even today, amazingly enough, there are people who are enslaved in parts of the world. And historically, that has always been the case, amazingly enough. But when you come into the church, when God baptizes you, when he plants the seed of his word in your heart, he doesn't care what your official cultural social status is because that doesn't mean a thing in the church because in the church you are a kingdom of priests saint peter said we are all god's children and it's kind of cliche to say that but clichés become clichés because they're true you know, you right. are God's child. That's not condoning slavery in any sense. It's saying there's an escape from slavery, hopefully for you in this life, certainly in the church and in the life of the world to come. So to wrap all this up, sorry, it's been very long. But first, in your earthly vocations, you can certainly strive for better, bigger things. God calls you to multiple vocations throughout your life pray and discern about those opportunities and about slavery. It's not God's will, but unfortunately the whole world isn't following his will and it's reality for some. So for those people, as they come into the church, don't, don't let that determine what you think God thinks you're worth. And the rest of us definitely should never let anyone's worldly status, slave or otherwise, determine what we think is their worth in God's eyes. This idea about contentment includes not only within your own self understanding that you have been called by God to this congregation and you should appreciate and recognize that before God, yes, you're a sinner, but you're a forgiven sinner because of Christ. And then that contentment also goes for us being content with the families that God has given us. If that man walks in off the street or woman, and they haven't been able to bathe in a while or they're in a condition that makes them very vulnerable and it makes us uncomfortable— yeah, I mean, remind yourself of of the filthy garments which are your own good works and reach out to them in love. And that's also, a, I think, a style or a way of being content with where God has put you. You know, so many people want to support, say, missionaries overseas. Well, I spent a little time as a, you know, one of these week-long, you know, week-long, a couple of times, you know, mission trips to Haiti. I still have some uh, lifelong relationships that have stemmed from that. But still, my point is you go over there and if you're if you're well, well bathed and smelling nice and fresh, you're actually the one who's going to be uh, inconsistent with the rest of the people you're the around one who sticks you. out. Yeah. yeah. And and that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Those are yeah. all just outside worldly things. Um, no different than being circumcised or uncircumcised, no different than what you're your status is in society. 
Christ came for all people, and that's what's just so glorious about his message. Hey, brother, we are right here toward the end of our program, but what okay. I like, when we have time, I like to give the pastor an opportunity to share with the listeners at home just a, a piece of a gospel, a gospel message that pertains to them, but also that maybe they're able to share, take with them and share with their neighbor. Could you do that? I certainly will. I think the thing that shines through this passage today, 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24, is God loves you where you are and how you are right now. He loves you and he sees you as perfect and holy because Jesus loves you enough to die for you, to cover you in his blood and clothe you with the garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness. You don't need to strive and claw and scrap. Come to Jesus and rest, for God has done everything necessary to make you holy, make you his, and bring you home to the promised land. And that is is why Jesus comes, and that's how Jesus loves, and that's what determines your identity and importance before God. Jesus, who loves you, saves you, takes you by the hand, and leads you to the promised land. Amen. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Keith Wise, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and chaplain of the Good Shepherd Community in Sauk Rapids. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your pastor. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with the last third of chapter 7. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.